This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5, flying high in both teams. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to play that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento like that. That's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Brian West on here as we usually do. What's going on, Brian? How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Brendan. Uh, that was an enjoyable Kings game last night against the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, so to celebrate, we decided to have our uh, most basketball optimistic friend, Greg Westinger, on to uh, talk about uh, De'Aaron Fox and his fantastic seasons, I think, gets lost a bit in all of this basketball hell. So, how you doing, Greg? I- I'm good, but did you mean to book a different Greg Wissinger? I'm an <laughs> optimist now. Like, what's going on there? <laughs> you, wrote, you wrote such a good uh, piece last week about apathy. And uh, <laughs> you know, I was feeling that last night when I turned on the Kings game at halftime just thinking, Boy, the Kings are up right now. What the heck is this? Why why am I pretending that they're going to beat the Mavericks? And, you know, it's been such a monotonous season, especially the last two weeks. Like, all these losses have just made it so jaded. I think your piece captured it really well. Like, I feel like you said it. I I feel like I should be a lot more upset than I am, but I wasn't. Um, And then I was watching De'Aaron Fox just beat Luka Doncic pretty much one-on-one in that fourth quarter in an isolation shootout. And, you know, it kind of made me think, am I underrating how amazing De'Aaron Vox's season has been this year? And I feel like uh, it's pretty easy to do, get lost in this. So uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, do you think we've been uh, underrating how damn awesome De'Aaron Fox has been? Totally. Um, I, I mean, I think, well, I'll, I'll say that there were good stretches because he has disappeared for some moments, and I think during the really really promising stretches it's been really pointed out. Um, but I do want to spend, like, the whole episode kind of diving into it, and I figured a place that we could start is coming into the year, where were you at with Fox? Like, obviously there was still a lot of development that was going to happen, but what were the major concerns coming into this season um, revolving around Fox's game, his uh, current skill set, where did you feel like his ceiling was coming into this year, Greg? So the other day I was actually looking up uh, as part of our 20 question series at the start of the season, like before the season kicked off, uh, I wrote about kind of could De'Aaron Fox make another leap? Like did he have that in him? So he had taken a little bit of a step up the previous season. And we saw in the Orlando bubble, he was playing really well. He averaged like 26 and 8 in Orlando, and and that seemed pretty amazing. And it was like, okay, was that just a a couple of good games because it was such a small sample size? So I think the biggest question for me going into it was consistency. And I went back and I looked at what I was 
writing in that piece, and I wrote that I felt like a pretty good leap would be if he could average somewhere around like 25 and 7, which right now he's at 25.3 and 7.2. So he met my expectations or or what I hoped he could be going into this season. And really when we look at the, the splits for more recent games, he's playing even better than that. Like he started off the season a little on the slow side and was not near this level at the start of the year. So, um, I still think there's some question of consistency. You know, we've kind of talked about there's still some low games and things like that, but uh, it is interesting to me how often we're just kind of taking for granted games where he is scoring 25 points a night. Totally. What about you, Bryant? When coming into the year, um, where were your expectations at for Fox and what sort of ceiling do you feel like he had coming into this season? You know, I thought that this kind of 25-7 and seven season, like Greg talked about, was something that he could pull off. I don't really think that I expected it until uh, this team had made a change. Like, I was just really down on this team coming into the year, so I didn't really think that under Luke Walton this was something that could happen. But, I mean, this is a star leap by all concerns. Like, this summer, but I mean, he's up to shooting attempts. He's probably going to end up with double the amount of threes he took last year by the end of this year. And he's scoring 26 points on a career high true shooting percentage. Um, for a guy with, you know, we all were worried about his efficiency, his shooting ability. Like, I just, just that statement alone proves where he is to me. Um, and, you know, Greg talked about he was kind of. He he wasn't as good to begin the year. Uh, since the All-Star break, he's averaging 29 points a game, which is pretty insane for such a long stretch. I mean, uh, I feel before right before the All-Star break, he was definitely a little tired. Um, he and the whole team was lethargic, and pretty much since then, like he's just been a, a firecracker. He had one game where he scored – two games where he scored less than 20 points, which is pretty insane from where he was – the last couple of years. Uh, this is the star league we were all really hoping uh, he would have and the team really needs him to to go forward. Um, I thought um, Buddy Heald would lead the team in scoring this year, and that has a little bit to do with, uh, you know, obviously Buddy uh, slumping a little bit and Fox taking this big leap, and I think you're seeing Fox take over full games or at least three quarters of games much more often than you were before. Um, like you saw, against Dallas most recently going head-to-head with one of the more clutch players in the league in Doncic and pulling through at the end. Um, so when this year, you know, we're all saying has been a gap year, when did you first realize that? And, and what was it that kind of stood out to you? Like I'll say for me, I think um, here it was 14 games into the year because he was shooting a lot of threes, right? And I think that was at least to me the most obvious where I was like, okay, this is a development that's going to unlock the rest of his game. Um, even if they're not going in at a great rate, there was games he's putting up six, seven, eight of them, and that was nice. And then actually 14th game of the year was this Pelicans game had 43 points and 13 assists. And this was the one to me where I was like, wow, this is like different for Fox. I think this is the best game of his career, and this year just starts to feel a little different. What was the first moment was there you know a skill that you picked up on that he was doing more often um, that made you feel like this year was different or there's a specific game or anything like that so I don't remember a specific game but I remember pretty early in the season where it wasn't the first time we had seen him really take over a fourth quarter where it was like the second or third time in you know five or six games where he had really taken over and just gone on the scoring tear and put up a ton of fourth quarter points, which that had never been something we'd really seen from Fox. I mean, he wasn't the guy to take over down the stretch. I mean, he would make a big play here and there. Like, you think back to, like, the the huge dunk in Miami when he was uh, a rookie. But he wasn't the guy who just took over and ran the entire offense through him. That was the big shift that I saw. And, again, I can't remember exactly when it happened. It was pretty early in the year, though that it was like, okay, there's a, a different gear here that we weren't seeing before. Yeah, for me, it was just like Brendan. It was that New Orleans game where um, the whole team was playing well, but when they got to that fourth quarter, Fox 
it was for me it was that first game where it was just like all right this dude knows that he is the fourth quarter offense that when the chips are down and defenses are coming at you the only dude that I can truly depend on is me and he's just figuring it out on every play like I'm never going to forget that spin move around Zion as the oh holy shit moment of the year um for me so I think that's holding the Aaron Fox back at this point is that the team around him is just not that talented and not that offensively creative at this point. So um, I, I fully believe that he can be a number one off option on a playoff team at this point. It's just up to Sacramento to finish the construction around him. Totally. And I think the obvious thing, again, like I said before, to me was the three-point shooting and, and the willingness to shoot those. Um, the volume is up notably, and I've talked about, like, to me, Jay Crowder's the poster boy for this, where you don't have a great efficiency, but you have enough volume on, like, a slightly subpar shooting average, and you're respected from there. You have a gravity, um, and that's all the Fox really needs. I think, you know, defenses are still going to go under, understandably, um, on Fox, but this year he's up to five and a half attempts a game and knocking down 32 percent of them uh, last season was 3.6 a game and he only knocked down 29.2 percent of those ones um Bryant there's there's definitely been a leap in his three-point shooting but do you feel like it's enough at this point you know you're always going to want to see him improve every year um I mean 32 percent from three and 71 percent from the line both need to improve he knows that uh, and if there's anything that I trust him to work on, it's that because he knows that uh, it's going to be a lot easier for him to get in the paint and do what he wants around the rim when guys ha- can't just go in there every time uh, and when defenses aren't just going to come out and give him space. Um, so that's always going to be a concern. But like you said, I mean, 5.73s for 36 is an insane leap from last year with like four, three points for 36 last year. So uh, he clearly knows that the most important thing for him at this point is volume. Um, and I, I, tr- I totally trust him to keep working on his shot. Yeah. Where are you at with that, Greg? Do you think that um, it, this number needs to improve from where it's at now, if he's going to reach an ideal ceiling? I mean, I think ideally you want him to be hitting at a higher clip, but you also look at how many great point guards there have been in the league over the past even just five to ten years that you know, even in the three-point era, there's plenty of great point guards who weren't great three-point shooters. Like, Russell Westbrook has never been anywhere close to where Fox is from three, and he'll still launch him with reckless abandon. And, you know, obviously Westbrook is better in other aspects of his game, but kind of to Brennan's point, like you can be okay just with a respectable volume and a, a good enough percentage. Like he's not a bad enough shooter even right now that he's going to get left completely open for an entire game. Like there's enough accuracy there already where defenses will at least like try to close out on him. And sometimes that's enough, especially, you know, with his penetration ability, his ability to get by guys like, all you need is someone to react to the fact that you're about to pull up from three and, and that gives you an advantage. So I think it's in a good place, but obviously not an ideal place. Like you'd want it to be better. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys on that. I think obviously you would like to see that number improve to more league average. Um, but I, I think the point that it's at, he can still reach a ceiling that is – you know, um, I, I'll, I'll save what I think I kind of have pinned as a ceiling for him a little bit later. Um, but I think the more important swing skill for him is the free throw shooting, which has been hounded home a ridiculous amount. Um, but he's up to 10th in the entire league in free throw attempts a game. He's getting 8.4 uh, attempts per game in April, which is only eight games played. But that's right there with the top of the league. Um, I think that this is something that it seems – maybe Fox, the coaching staff, and whoever else is focusing on right now is getting him more respect and more calls. Um, Greg, do you think that Fox is getting superstar calls right now, like you see some guys in the rest of the league? Uh, No. (laughs) 
<laughs> which I think makes his free throw rate even more impressive, right? That he is scoring, or he's not necessarily scoring a lot because of the shooting woes at the stripe, but he's getting to the line at an elite level in the NBA. But when you look at how often he's in the paint, how often he's drawing contact, I mean, there's a handful of plays every game where it's like, okay, a bigger name gets that call. You know, it's the the 23-year-old point guard from Sacramento's not getting that call yet. Uh, You know, you hope that with more time, and especially as he's establishing himself as uh, such a a good player, you know, the the calls tend to follow along with that. There's always going to be a little bit of a lag. So the fact that he's getting so many visits to the free throw line already is encouraging but I don't think he's at a level where he's actually getting the superstar calls yet. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, there are just so many examples from the last couple of games. I mean, that no call in Phoenix was just egregious. Um, like <laughs> Devin Booker would have totally gotten that call and uh, he probably would have gotten a flagrant out of that. Um, but Like Greg said, it's a young point guard out of Sacramento. Um, They're barely ever on TV. He's not a fully household name yet. Uh, To be a to get star calls, you kind of gotta be recognized by the general NBA as a star. So uh, hopefully that increases as time goes on and he starts getting the respect he deserves. Uh, But tenth and free throws a game, despite all Kings fans yelling about how was that not a foul. That's pretty good. Definitely is. Um, And like I said, 8.4 a game in April, which compared to season averages would have him actually fourth, right above Zion. Behind Joel Embiid is leading 11.8. Giannis with 9.8. And then Trey is right there at 8.8, which is right neck and neck with what Fox is averaging in April. Um, My follow-up question here, can, or I guess should, Fox lead the league? free throw attempts at some point. Giannis is definitely, our Embiid is definitely up there, and so is Giannis, but should Fox be in that conversation, you think, when Sacramento is um, hopefully at some point a respectable team again, making playoff runs? It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he is already at the level he's at, and we've agreed that he's not really getting the superstar calls yet. He's in the paint all the time. I mean, he's He's not afraid of contact. That's another big development in this game is that he will create contact. He will finish through contact. And I don't think it would be crazy at all to see that number go up a couple more attempts per game, which, like I said, right now that put him among the the top in the NBA. Yeah, you know, I I struggle to think that uh, he'll average more free throws than – some center, probably Embiid or whoever's uh, the star center in a couple of years when Fox is in his prime, uh, just because, I mean, he's in the paint a lot, but he's not a big dude drawing uh, paint touches every time. Uh, but he should definitely be up there with uh, how much of an offensive focal point he is at this point, how often he does get to the rim, uh, and how much defenses just absolutely zone in on him, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. So wouldn't surprise me. Um, so I agree that his free throw shooting and earning trips to the free throw line is really a swing skill. But to me, I think a swing skill that I really loved seeing this year was his improvement on catch and shoot threes, because that was always going to be key with Tyrese Halliburton coming in uh, and hopefully with another higher usage player coming in in a couple of years as this team builds out the roster. Uh, because, you know, while I think we all agree Fox is the 1A offensive engine on this team, he definitely needed to prove himself uh, some level of spacer when the ball's not in his hands to fully utilize what Tyrese Halliburton can do as a creative ball player. And, uh, you know, Brendan marked it down here is uh, Fox improved from 33% on catch-and-shoot threes last year to 40% this year, which is, to me, just a fantastic number for a dude who, I mean, I think I marked this in my profile of him four years ago. He only shot 29% on catch-and-shoot threes in college. So uh, that's an insane jump and much needed for uh, a team that's really figuring out, hey, we really do need 
multiple ball handlers to make this work. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. I think that, you know, the important aspect of, you know, seeing that shooting start to translate a little bit, you hope to also see that be felt on the free throw line as well with the percentages there. Um, And it only jumped to 71% this year of those guys in the top 10 in free throw attempts. um, About half of them are sitting at 85% plus. And then there's Giannis 68, Zion 69, um, Luca sitting there at 72 and Fox at 71 as well. Um, I think, you know, there's the story he told on the J.J. Reddick podcast. I want to say, what, he hit 94, 92-something free throws in a row, um, trying to get to 100. He's super confident that that's going to go up. There's nights where it seems um, he has a lot of confidence from the free throw line. It wouldn't surprise me if this was a little bit of a confidence thing, and once he started to hit them at a high rate for, say, a month span, that that was able to stick around. Um, do you kind of feel that same way, Greg? And then what is the sort of percentage number you would be aiming for realistically for Fox to be hitting from the charity stripe? I mean, I think you want him ideally hitting somewhere up near 90. That would be perfect considering his volume and what that would do for his overall scoring output. Um, But really just to be respectful, I think he needs to get it above 80%. Now, that being said, I, I do think that we get a, a little tied up in the numbers because if you factor in like the total number of free throws he takes and you know if he went from 70% to 80%, it, it's a minimal amount of points over the course of a season. But in the end, it does matter. Like The biggest thing is if the game's on the line and Fox draws a foul, you don't want to be a surprise if he goes two for two, which right now it feels like it is. Uh, so. I'm a little less hung up on the number and, and more about the actually like the confidence in that if you Kings need two points and he's at the line that you're going to get two points. Yeah, it's phenomenal as he's been in these fourth quarters, just 71% from the free throw line, which is still good, respectable. I, I would say league average is about 75 and I would probably shoot for that 80% marker as well. Um, but you know, if if we're talking about Fox as a superstar, which I think is what we're kind of working towards somewhat, and he's starting to make, at least myself, maybe put him in that category, um, which we'll touch on a little later um, with his level of play. But I think you have to have an elite skill to fall under that category. And Fox's elite skills is finishing at the rim. Um, 69% at the rim so far this season. It was 63% last year. Um, that's a 98th percentile for guards. For context, um, Zion is shooting 67% at the rim, uh, 2% higher for Fox. Kyrie, magician at the rim, 63%. Uh, Fox is 69 And Giannis is, uh, obviously has a little bit of, of physical advantage on Fox and is shooting 80% at the rim. But, uh, yeah, Fox 69, extremely impressive. And I think the other aspect of it is that he's able to get there whenever he wants. Yeah, and it's it's just insane that he can do that well, the team really is just lacking uh, consistency on a night-to-night basis from other scorers. Like, defenses just swarm on him as soon as he gets into that paint, and yet still hitting 69 at the rim is that's, – that's just crazy to me. Imagine what this is, team's going to look like if they get another couple of um, shooters and another – I mean, a big guy that teams have to worry about when Fox is getting to the rim. It's just going to open up so much more for his game. 
Yeah, I mean, Fox has always had the elite speed. That was the, the defining skill when he came in. I think the big difference that we're seeing now, the game's definitely slowed down for him. Like, it's not just reckless speed getting in there. It's that he knows how to use his quickness and speed, and there's no one who can really just hold him one-on-one, or very few guys that can. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just that he gets into the paint and has to finish at the rim to be effective. He's getting really good at, you know, all the little different moves within, you know, whether it's a mid-range pull-up or a step-back or, I mean, he's figuring out all these different ways to manipulate a defense. And when the defense can't just count on you getting to the rim and doing nothing else, it makes it a lot easier to get to those finishes at the rim that he's so good at. Everybody knows that the game has slowed down for him, um, which is very fitting for his game and always what you wanted to see from a point guard with his level of speed. But, I mean, honestly, there are times where you're just watching him weave through collapsing defenses where he just looks like superhuman. Uh, he always makes me think of that Quicksilver scene from one of those X-Men movies where everybody else is just frozen around him and he's just weaving through them. He he looks like that sometimes. The whole court slows down around him. Yeah, patient, um, super poised. I think he took a leap in the, in the classic uh, way that you guys mentioned of the game slowing down for him coming into last year, and then there was another step this season, um, you know, not being full speed 100% of the time. There were a lot of questions about Sacramento's half-court offense, and I think a lot of that revolved around Fox. And he showed a phenomenal ability, like like we've said, in isolation. Um, I can think of, you know, Ben Simmons, Kawhi Leonard, Drew Holiday struggling to guard De'Aaron Fox in isolation. Um, the only guy I can think of and there's probably there's another one I'm missing at least I think, but I know Thibel was the one that stood out to me. Um, yeah. Was there was there another guy that? Well, at the risk of turning myself into a meme, I did think Macal Bridges did pretty okay <laughs> with him on him the other night. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much the only dude that uh, the Suns put on him where I was like, okay, well he's not just getting around him. Um, I mean, Thibel's the clear and obvious answer. Uh, this Fox was dominating that Sixers game until they swapped Ben Simmons uh, in the thigh bowl on him. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of off the top of my head anybody else that just locked him down. Yeah, thigh bowl's the one that always stands out. But it is kind of telling. Like Ben Simmons is not a bad defender. <laughs> you know, no, no. They had to switch yeah. someone else <laughs> to slow down Fox. That was pretty encouraging. I mean, it's really just the the couple of teams that have a truly elite defensive specialist who doesn't do much else. Those are like the guys that can give Fox fits at this point, and not many guys are out there in the league that can do that. And I was I rewatched the uh, Dallas game at lunch, and uh, I was cracking up in the fourth quarter. The Mavericks decided, you know what, the only thing that we can do with Fox is put Jalen. Uh, Jalen Brunson on him and Fox said oh great a dude I can actually post up and they I think he got like two straight baskets just posting him into the ground while the other Mavericks are like well should we leave our guys I don't know but I mean and it speaks to some of that strength that Fox has added because obviously he's still not like the bulkiest guy but he's definitely muscled up over his NBA career and yeah, watching him like power down into the post, <laughs> it's like, oh man, I can't remember the last time I saw Fox back a guy down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I love, I love that he knew that's what he had to do. Like, it just speaks to his full game improvement. Like, all right, this is what I got to do right now to get my buckets and keep us winning this game. Yeah, and and Fox plays a pretty physical offensive uh, game. Like, you know, his his contact that he draws at the rim is, I think, how he negates rim protectors. Um, he does a great job of shooting it on the way down. I think he does that more than a lot of guys you see in the league. Um, and coming off a of pick and roll, he's keeping guys on his hip a lot more, I feel like. He has, Greg mentioned that step back move that I think is the reason that I'm not really worried about the whole we'll just sag off of Fox a ridiculous amount because I think that mid-range is uh, – he's hitting that at a, at a pretty high rate, and I'm comfortable with that in clutch situations. I think that he gets that whenever he wants um, with an improved handle this year. He's Again, the change of pace. I think hesitation moves work crazy for Fox. He's got the 
Um, when he's going left, he ends up spinning back towards his right. And then since the defender's on his left side, he rises up with that shooting hand of his and is getting contact like every single time on that whistle. Um, his space creation's just phenomenal this year. Um, and being able to piece moves together. And then I think the last thing um, is what you saw really against Dallas is that he's not just doing this throughout the um, middle part of the games, the beginning portions. He's coming through in the clutch in the fourth quarters of these games, um, stepping up his game at those times against Dallas, 12 points, two assists, zero turnovers, four of six from the field, four of four from the line, all in that fourth quarter, um, really willing the team to victory against Luka and the Mavs. Um, he's been phenomenal in the, clutch, in the clutches here, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. That game against Luka just stood out from a narrative perspective um, because I think most Kings fans were really dreading uh, Dallas is going to march this back. But Fox just, every time Luka hit a shot, Fox came back and hit another one. Um, and he's done that all year. Uh, he's been, you know, th- there were definitely times over his career where I think he struggled to figure out when the right moment for him to take over is. But now that everything has just started unlocking in his game, he's just got no fear. He just knows that 90% of the time he his speed is going to get him some kind of advantage and then he's going to be able to figure out something to do that, whether uh, somebody rotates and he's got a wide-open teammate or uh, whether it's time for him to just keep going to the rim, chain together some moves. Right. This is definitely a guy who I trust with the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter at this point. Um, and I wish the Kings were in more fourth quarters so that he could fully showcase this to the league. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add to that except to say that you know, Fox is currently leading the league in fourth quarter scoring, which is you know, damn. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't believe that the games are in enough games to showcase how clutch he is. But well, I'm not saying clutch scoring. I'm just saying fourth quarter. So oh. <laughs> I don't think it matters that the Kings are uh, out yeah. of them. But <laughs> I, I do think I yeah, looked it up a little. I looked it up a little earlier today. He fell behind point one point to Giannis. Um, how dare he? I don't know how he falls behind after a 12-point fourth quarter, but I guess he's at 7.5 and Giannis is at 7.6. Um, but Brandon, he, I, I don't need this negativity oh, no. in my life. I know. Sorry. Sorry. But he, <laughs> but he is in a group with Giannis, Harden, Fox, and B. Lillard. Like, what other company do you want Fox to hold? And I think it all leads to this question of, like, how good really is De'Aaron Fox? Is And, and we'll start with the basic one, I think, um, that every, you hear everyone ask, Greg, is Fox good enough to be the number one option on a contending team? I'm, I, I mean, I think he could be. I, I'm still a little hesitant just because I think – it would have to be a very well-constructed roster around him for him to be that number one option on that level of team. Um, so I'm I'm not 100% there. I mean, I, I'm imagining almost like a like championship Pistons type of team where with, like, Chauncey Billups being, like, the best player. Like, mm-hmm. not, not who you think of as, like, the number one guy on a, on a championship team in most cases, but just a, a perfect storm of the perfect roster construction, the perfect team in that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. But in most scenarios, I'm still not 100% there. I agree. It's complex because of the roster construction. Like if I ever trusted this team to think of them as a squad with championship goals, then, you know, that's, that's a whole different conversation. The team really does have to, get a whole bunch of shooters and defenders around Fox. And uh, however they build their roster, there's going to be questions that arise. big one to me, honestly, is I'm still not sure I trust that a guy as skinny and as reliant on his speed and athleticism as Fox is uh, can really handle the physicality of 82 games where teams are totally respecting Sacramento and coming into each matchup fully engaged for the Kings. 
Because, um, I mean, he, he's still – he's added a bunch of weight. He's still just a 190-pound dude. Um, but he's only missed one game this year. And that's a pretty big jump from uh, his first three years in the league where he had much – he had a lot more injuries. So um, I think that's a great sign for his longevity. Hey, hey Brian, have you ever heard of Kevin Durant? <laughs> he's kind of skinny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's having a lot of problems this year. Well, he's old now. I'm talking about when he's 31, in his prime. 32, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fair. That's I'm just kidding. Obviously, Kevin Durant's a freak of nature. I will say I do worry that, you know, the reliance on athleticism in Fox's game, and, and he's become so much more than just, you know, running past everyone and finishing at the rim, but I do think that's a very important aspect to his game. That does make me worry that his um, decline will be steep and quick, but I think prime De'Aaron Fox to me, which I don't think we're there yet, um, I, I do think that's a number one option on a contending team. Um, and I think from a team-building point of view, I think you look and you say you have a guy of that caliber, then you need to build the team around him. Um, and I'll say, you know, I think like to be a number one option on a championship team, you probably have to be an all NBA player. Right. Um, and what is about 15 guys or so that could be number one options, I would say. And previous third team guards, um, in 1920, it was Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, 1819, Kemba Walker, Russell Westbrook, 1718, um, Steph Curry, Victor Oladipo, Jimmy Butler, and 1617, Kyle Lowry, Clay Thompson. Um, I don't think that you regularly see Fox on this list by any means, but I think that you could see him. I I think that he will make, he can make, I'll I'll stick with can, make an all-NBA third team at some point in his career. Um, Am I crazy there, Greg? No, I mean, definitely not. I mean, he's 23 years old. He has grown so much since he joined the Kings, and doing that, as a member of the Kings, speaks volumes. I mean, to to grow and develop in this organization is not something we regularly see from guys. So I think the sky is the limit. I mean, I'm just basing on what I've seen so far, but, you know, what he's done this season was kind of what I was like, well, maybe if he took the leap, this is where he could be. Well, he's done that. So who knows? I mean, next season could be a, another step forward, even if it's not as significant. You know, if there's gradual improvement even, I mean, he could easily, in a year, make me think I'm stupid for thinking he might not be a number one option. Like, he could easily be that guy. I don't think it's anywhere out of the question at this point. I think it all comes down to how good the Kings team is around him because you don't get on the third team uh, on a lottery on a lottery squad. You just don't. So uh, if the Kings are top five in the West, in a college, definitely. I mean, if he was on a top five team and he was averaging this stat line, he'd probably be in contention for the third all-NBA team this year. So, so uh, what, what is the ideal – what is the ideal I, – I think it's totally possible. But what is the ideal team around Fox then? Obviously, you need shooters – um, we'll start with this. Do you need four other shooters around Fox, four other very respectable shooters, or do you only need three? Can, can Probably you're talking about your big man. Let's say it's even your four or whatever. Can you have one guy around Fox if you're building an ideal roster focused around him where if he's this good of a player, which personally I think he is, that you probably should be doing that. Do you need four other shooters or can you settle for three? I think it depends on the quality of the first three. Like, if you have three really great shooters and, and one guy who's not a great shooter and, and then Fox, I think that can work. I think if you've got three guys who are all okay shooters but maybe not guys you would think of as, like, great shooters who are going to constantly demand the attention of the defense. I mean, so maybe it just kind of depends how we're defining shooters. But, like, I think you need – at least one or two really great shooters around him. I, I don't think you can get by with just one good shooter or, or just two or three good shooters. You, you need at least one guy to pair with him that it's really great. Is Tyrese Halliburton that dude? I think he could be. Yeah. I mean, what's he shooting from three this year? I don't have it in front of me, but 
at one point it was way up there. <laughs> like, and especially elite. Yeah, forty-one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if if Halliburton's a forty-one percent three-point shooter for the rest of his career, I think that's a pretty good starting point for building around him. Well, yeah. I'll also say, isn't isn't Buddy that guy? I mean, he was. But <laughs> is he? I, I I feel less confident saying that. Well, Buddy Buddy's the perfect the perfect example for how I feel about this because the the easy answer is you want as many as possible. It's it's lame, but. The problem with Buddy in that situation is that you can't sacrifice defense for shooting. I mean, if the Kings can have three good shooters around Fox, but two of those dudes aren't good defenders, this team's just not going to go anywhere. So have as many shooters as possible, but it's really going to be a balancing act moving forward. Like, can you find shooters who are also high IQ defenders who can offer some defensive versatility, then great, sure. Three's probably enough. But many as you can get without totally disrupting the defense. I think that's a good point. Like let's say instead of Buddy you had another guy who was along the lines of like a Harrison Barnes where not an elite outside shooter, but a respectable outside shooter. Defenses can't leave him alone. But he does a lot of other stuff too. Like I think that is probably more important. So I'm, I think I'm changing my answer on the fly here. But I, I think that to Brian's point, I think it's a good one that more well-rounded all-around players is probably more important than just the shooting. Like yeah. a Franz Wagner, maybe. <laughs> no, no, no. We said they have to shoot some. Oh. Okay. <laughs> well, Kings Herald is going to be against you and your uh, Franz Wagner fandom, Brendan. Apparently. Sorry. It'll be fine when we jump to one or two anyways. It'll yeah. be an easy decision. Well, no, then it's just going to be me and you yelling about how they should take Evan Mobley. Yeah. Um, I think that you need – obviously you need at least three. I think that Holmes is showing that you can get away with four. Um, or with three, I'm sorry, that another non-shooter and alongside Fox. And I think that Holmes – underratedly or underappreciatedly spaces the floor with that well-known push shot because he actually does have a lot of range on that. He's shooting it from, you know, free throw line extended. Um, But I think having an elite role partner um, that you sacrifice shooting for rim protection on the other end is reasonable. Like Greg said, as long as you do have high level shooters being the other three. Um, And I'll say, I think my other note for, how to optimize De'Aaron Fox that I think you're not getting to see at all. I mean, the obvious thing is that he's just a monster in transition. How is anybody going to stop an elite finisher that's probably the fastest player in the league in transition, but we don't get to see it because the Kings don't get stops. I think that if Fox was on a top 10 defense where they are regularly getting stops and he's able to push the pace that way with anytime there's long boards, if he's the one to get the rebound, um, steals, the team is 22nd in steals, which, I mean, when you're a bad defense, you can still be annoying, pesky, and get steals. I wish this team was doing that more. But I actually think a high-level defense, a top 15 defense, is pretty important to unlocking ideal deer and fox. Yeah. If there was anything that the Dave Yeager team showed, it was uh, if you have a team that always wants to get into transition, live ball turnovers are the most important thing that you can freaking do to get guys to thrive in that transition. So I agree with you that better defense is going to lead to better offense, um, but that's always been the case. And I think you make a big, a good point about kind of how Holmes is used because, you know, we often associate spacing with shooting, right? That you need shooters to create spacing, but, you know, Holmes helps create space because he's really good at setting screens, which we've seen plenty of guys come through Sacramento that can't set a screen to save their life. And a good screen creates space, and it creates a disruption in the defense, and, and that is what De'Aaron Fox needs because he's so good at operating with even just a, a little bit of an advantage to where, yeah, I think if you have someone who's a good pick-and-roll partner and then the other three guys are shooters – that's a pretty good recipe for success around De'Aaron Fox. Is there anything else that stands out to you um, that 
you see as ideal in building a team around De'Aaron Fox, Greg? Coaching? Any form of coaching <laughs> at all? Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I don't think Walton's done the worst job this year, but I'm also still just not a fan. I, I think the team has some untapped potential with a better coach. Yeah. So I think that uh, I think that that could do a lot for Darren Fox. <laughs> I think uh, honestly, the part of losing Marvin Bagley to another season of injury that depresses me the most is that I really want to see De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton thrive with a big who can space the floor vertically uh, and really utilize pick and roll to the extent that, you know, this team really should. Uh, Now, Marvin Bagley was never going to be that good because Marvin Bagley's never met a screen he liked. uh, And I very much wish that De'Aaron Fox's uh, physicality at the rim had been transferred into all of his teammates, including Marvin Bagley. Um, But I really would like to see the Kings play with a big dude that wants to get up there and dunk it, wants to set hard screens and roll the basket, you know, take advantage of playing with the fastest point guard in basketball. So uh, spacers, shooters, I would like one big guy who is, you know, Holmes is undersized for that position. He sets incredibly hard screens and has some very nice dunks, but uh, I would like a one seven-footer now and then. We have Hassan Whiteside. (laughs) Hard screens, tall dunks. I don't know what else. That's his whole resume. Hassan Whiteside has done so much with all of the wonderful passes that Tyrese Halliburton has fed (laughs) straight fed him right in the post. Like, Hassan Whiteside could have had double the points if the dude could just jump anymore. Yeah. Have we seen Jabari Barker on the Celtics, by the way? God. It was least expected turnaround error. I, I don't care if it's the King's culture. That dude was dead in the water. You can't convince me otherwise. I'm not convinced he's still not. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. coming off like four months rest, man. He's got fresh legs. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Give me a, give me like a week of something before I'll start scratching my head. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I went on a Celtics podcast. They're like, well, do you think that uh, do you think that Parker could be you know just like a catch and shoot three point shooter, attack attack closeouts? I'm like, yeah, I think in China he totally can. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't look great right now. Um. Yeah. So, Darren Fox, I think that you have a guy on your hands that is. I feel like you know, seventy-five percent chance he's good enough to be a number one option on a contending team, and I think that's the hardest aspect to find. Um. So that is where my optimism lies with the Kings moving forward. That, and I think you have an ideal running mate in Tyrese Halliburton. Um. But Gotta say, Fox is one of the main reasons I'm I'm tuning in each and every night. He's he's going crazy right now. Um, I think he's really solidifying himself as one of the better players in the league. And I hope that you know to close out the rest of this year, the team puts together some footage of Fox not getting calls that he deserves and sends that into the league office. And let's get that respect level up a little bit. Um, get top two or three in free throw attempts per game. But I, I think. Um, I don't know, superstar? Is that is that too big of a label, Greg? I mean, I think it's too early right now. I, I think, you know, Star Fox is, is good, but Superstar Fox is still a step or two away, but he's he's knocking on that door. I mean, yeah. he keeps playing the way he's been playing the last month or so, and I mean, the league will take notice. Yeah, he's knocking on that door, and if the team around him gets to top four in the West – level talent just on the surface, I think he can get there. Um, but you got to get that team first, and that's the hard part for Sacramento. Yeah I'll, say, star. yeah, I'll say actually to present the other side, if Fox is so good, why is the team still crap? Now, we've said this all year. Darren Fox is an amazing player, but he is not a transcendent LeBron James talent where you can just take a team of uh, fifth best player on a bad on a good team level and take them to respectability. 
he's just not. And and that's not really a slight on him. I mean, how many dudes are there in a league like that at any given time? Like three, four. Yeah. So I don't think yeah, that's I mean, a. There, there's a handful of guys who can truly just carry a team single-handedly, and. I don't think Fox is there, at least not at this point, and I don't think that's necessarily a knock on him. It's just being realistic about the level of player he is. Um, For everyone except the truly elite of the elite, it's a team sport, and you can only go so far on the back of one guy. I mean, look at the Blazers. I mean, like, Damian Lillard's awesome, like, Damon Miller is one of my favorite guys in the league, and no one will ever question him as a superstar or a guy who can lift a team. But he's still limited in how far he can take a team. Um, I mean, there's been plenty of other examples, but that's just the first one off the top of my head. I mean, Steph Curry you know, this year. Yeah, I mean, Steph is one of those amazing guys, and the Warriors aren't that great. I mean, they're still better than the Kings, even though the surrounding cast is probably worse. But, I mean, yeah. There's plenty of examples of great, great players who cannot single-handedly take a team beyond a certain point. Totally. Knocking at the door of Superstar is where I'll, I'll say I'm at. I think you have to do it in the playoffs probably before you fully wear that label. Um, but, yeah, excited about the future of Fox Halliburton. Um, what's Doug call it? Sacktown 5-0 or something like that. Um Doug is the king of these nicknames. Do we Fox have Force Five? Fox Force Five. Um, I like Star as a Fox reference better. to a movie from before you were born, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if I've seen that movie. What is this? What is this movie that Rich is telling me to watch? Do either of you know Tombstone? I've never seen it. How, wait, you guys haven't seen Tombstone? No. No. I mean, like, it's on TBS, like, every third day. (laughs) And that's not a knock on it. It's a great movie. I've watched two or three times this year. Like, I'm going to have to get on it. You guys need – all right, we're cutting this podcast short. You guys got to go watch Tombstone. I don't even know where it's streaming or anything, but get to work. You have homework. I will have to get on it. Brendan and I have an amazing um, lack of movies that – a lot of people have seen, like, uh, Shawsh- I didn't see Shawshank Redemption until two years ago. And then I was like, why has nobody ever told me about this movie? <laughs> I saw it about a year ago. Yeah. yeah. It was a good movie. It was a really good movie, by the way. Yeah. It's a freaking amazing yeah. movie. One of the best I've ever seen. I don't know why it took me until I was 30 years old to watch it. I really regret joining you two on this podcast because <laughs> you're not the type of people I want to be associated with. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right, Greg. Well, we'll let you go. We'll get on to Tombstone. Um, you and all the other guys at the King's Herald are doing great work there all the time. Um, definitely check out the site and take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. I'm sure you're already following Greg. If for some reason you're not, at GWIS. GWIS? How do you, do you, is there a pronunciation to this? WIS? I've always said it's GWIS. That, it, it's a, a thing I started saying back when it was like C-Web and J-Will and Got it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's where the, the Twitter handle comes from, just D-W-I-S-S. There we go. Um, yeah, and if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. we hear from us again in the next couple of days here. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.